Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We talk everything animation here, including Mirai, which we'll be getting into right now. I'm Justin Cummings, and today I'm joined by John McKenna. Hi, everybody. Today, we are talking about the new animated film, Mirai. Also, John, did you save your ticket stub? Was it called Mirai, or was it called Mirai of the Future? Um, It said Mirai of the Future on mine, but I I didn't have a ticket stub. Okay. So, um, I know different countries have been calling it different things. Mirai, I think, is the official name that they're going by. It's the newest film. Uh, from G Kids and from Mamoru Hasada. Uh, you can find all the information about Overly Animated on our website, overlyanimated.com, or by searching Overly Animated on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Uh, also on YouTube, youtube.com slash Overly Animated. John, it's been a long time since I've been on a podcast. Yeah, it's fine. It's great to hear your voice again. Well, thank you. It's, it's great to be back. So before we do anything else john i need to know did you see the movie in english or in japanese um despite the fact that i have now grown to love subbed anime and given that despite the fact that i've grown to love sub anime i did watch this as a dub because i i just tend i tend to trust uh dubs when they're in movies so i just went was, with that was subbed an option for the movie theater or was it only the dub playing in theaters um, actually both. Um, okay. but, but for me, it was like the sub was at seven o'clock and the dub, no, sorry. The, the dub was at seven o'clock. The sub was in a different theater at eight o'clock. So okay. I, picked the, I just picked the seven o'clock showing. Yeah. I think, I don't know which theaters are getting which versions. Um, I saw this as a review copy about a month ago and right back then they were only giving out the sub. So I have not seen the dub. Um, so you can kind of speak to that a little bit if you get a chance. So we've seen, we've seen the same movie, but you saw it in English. I saw the Japanese and I heard about this movie cause I was looking up upcoming films in 2018 and I saw this on the list and I had never heard of it. So I was like, okay, what is it? And it's from, as I said, uh, Mamoru Hosada. I hope I get his name right. Uh, he directed most famously, I'd say girl who Left through time, which we did a, podcast on michelle and i and that can be found in the description below and he's also directed wolf children and summer wars boy and the beast uh he's done what else did he do oh digimon the movie that's the other one and digimon. so you know and he, also, he also did what he also did a uh one piece movie baron baron omatsuri and the secret island huh yeah he directed that Nice. I did not know that. And Actually, also, uh, we also that. reviewed, also Beatrice reviewed uh, Wolf Children. That's also on the Overly Animated Movie Channel as well. Awesome. I will talk to Dylan. Make sure that's also included in the description below, so our wonderful listeners can go hear those if they have not yet. And the review of this film that I did a few days ago will also be down below. So that is enough housekeeping. Let's actually talk about this movie. Um, we're going to start spoiler-free for like the first 5-10 minutes, and then we're going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie yet, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to watch it before listening to the spoiler part. If anything we say interests you, go watch this movie. It's genuinely fantastic. Might be my movie of the year, and it's been a really tough year for movies. So 
First off, John, I want to know, what did you think of Mirai? You just saw it like an hour ago. What did you think? Uh, it was so charming. I absolutely loved it. Uh, the kid, for, uh, the kid uh, Kuhn, who's the big brother, he is way too adorable. It is... He was hilarious. He was he's like the prototypical big he's the prototypical big brother who doesn't want the baby sister in his life, which is fantastic. Uh, the animation, especially given given that it was hand a lot of it was hand drawn, just really nice. It's like it's like you're watching a Miyazaki movie from the 80s in, mm. in the best possible way. It's you know, a great there was some great great humor, great gags, but it had some really good sort of like lessons about family and about about taking things as they are and about taking things as they are uh learning to and all that like learning to be parents there are some good moments in there it's honestly if you really get a chance if you get a chance to see it i recommend it it's so it's just one of those really fun light-hearted heartwarming movies that you can that anyone can really watch and have a great and a great time with it so yeah definitely go see it if you can I for I just realized we haven't even given a basic synopsis of this film. It is would you consider this science fiction fantasy? Like where would you classify this? I put this in the fantasy column. It's but it, one of those movies where you don't know if what you're watching is real or the protagonist's imagination because it could really go either way and the movie doesn't want you to no, it wants you to live in that kind of sense of whimsy and charm. Like like you said, John, this movie is just so full of charm. It's about a little boy named Kuhn. And for the first 20 minutes, you would be... I um, I knew the plot, basically. I knew the synopsis. And for the first 20 minutes, I'm like, is this about him or is it about the parents? Because the beginning of the movie, I don't want to call it mundane because it's really good, but the conceit of the film doesn't appear for like 20, 30 minutes where basically we just see a normal family life in Japan. And this little boy gets a baby sister and at first he's excited. And then he's like, my parents are ignoring me because there's a little infant in the house. <laughs> and the first 20, 30 minutes is just charming family life. And you're just invested in this family. And then the film starts to kind of unravel and reveal itself. And this part's not a spoiler because it's literally the title of the film. He finds his sister as a teenager from the future, come back in time, and needs his help. And that's kind of just where the film launches from there. And it becomes this magical journey that... And props to the marketing for this film because I kind of knew what was going to happen, but... They did a really good job at keeping a lot of the plot secret, and it really does. And because of that, it's kind of hard to talk about the last forty-five minutes of this movie, because pretty much the trailers only showed stuff from the a very specific like ten minutes, and then like the climax. They left and out a lot of the movie in the trailer, which a lot of American movies just show you everything. <laughs> but like, there were some plot points that I wanted to mention in the article that I kind of got into but i'm like no any more would ruin this movie you have to see this for yourself yeah and what a when what a last 45 minutes it was oh too. my gosh it's so good like i genuinely just expected this movie to be a fun romp about this little boy with his baby sister growing up as a teenager come back and 
Teenage Mariah is in this movie for maybe 15, 20 minutes. Tops. Like, and, and she's not even the only one that sort of time traveled, too. It became sort of it became a recurring like, thing. There's like four different alternate versions of characters. And I don't want to say who any of them are besides Mariah yet. Once we get into spoilers, then we can talk about it. But yeah, like this movie kind of builds itself on this. And so if you go and they're expecting 90 minutes of Teenage Mariah, you're going to be disappointed. But I think what it offers instead is possibly even better. And like I said, I fell in love with The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. It's one of my favorite animated movies of all time. And so when I heard about this movie, I was like, oh my gosh, he's doing a time travel story again. And in some regards, it's so similar to Girl Who Leapt Through Time in that magical fantasy combined with mundane environment. Like that kind of juxtaposition of fantastical and everyday. But on the flip side, it's really different because Girl Who Leapt Through Time, its time travel is definitively real. Like there is no denying it. Whereas this movie, it could be in his imagination, but I don't know. And I think that's what set it apart for me. De- I, I totally agree. And there's moments where it, it, it walks that line so mm-hmm. well for a lot of scenes. And I was like, okay, this is depth. And, you know, sad time you're like, okay, this is definitely his imagination. And then you're like, is it? Did, wait a minute. Is, huh? Uh, yeah, you're like, uh, but it it has to be. It's one of those. It's like one of those Rugrats. It's like one of those scenes in Rugrats where they where they think they're on the moon, but they're actually in a garage, but everything still happens. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a really good comparison where it's like, oh, it was all just you know magic. Like it was all just pretend and never really happened. Like it was one of those. It was all a dream, but then one thing from the dream world is happened in reality, and it's like, but was it? Like, there's a scene like that where it's, like, the one little thing where I'm like, did this happen? And so I think I'm glad it doesn't give you a definitive answer. I'm glad it leaves you wondering because it gives you that childlike sense of whimsy. Like, this movie is just whimsical. Like, this movie is just so, so fun. Yeah, and when you leave it open like that, it just pulls you in even all the more because you're not – you, you you start connecting with the with uh, characters Kuhn especially a, a ton when they when they do that I love when they I love when they have that convention in movies and TV it makes it work so well like I connected with Kuhn eventually but the first people I connected with in the movie definitely were the parents which they were I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia page now and I'm like they were never named they're just dad and mom <laughs> yeah that's right what did, what did you think about the parents Oh, that poor, poor dad. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I love the parents. I mean, I definitely, I like the parents. Uh, the dad is like, you could tell the dad is like this. I like how it's, it's a bit different because the dad is the one that's, you know, he's the stay, he's the stay at home parent. He's the one trying mm-hmm. to do everything. You could see how he's just like frantically doing, trying to do everything. He's like trying to learn it so fast. Yeah, because and apparently. It's... Because when Coon, because when I guess when they raised Coon, it was the mom's job. But mm-hmm. even she admits it's like, well, you were, well, you were fawning over me the whole time. So, so it's like he was caring for her while she was caring for the baby. But now it's he's caring for the baby a lot more because she wants to go back to work and have her career, and he could and he can stay at home because he's a stay at home architect. And but you could tell it's like 
the thing is like he's trying so hard but at the same time it's like she's trying to say like oh no you're not doing it right you have to do it at this time you have to do it at that time you have to put put the bottle in a little more it's and, and, I'm just, and at the same time it's like you know she's right because she's done this before but at the same time he's you can tell like the stress feels really relatable and the drama of it felt really relatable oh yeah and it's like it's it was one of those things where I'm like, this is just, it's so normal. And that just normal drama compo- uh, juxtaposed with the rest of the film is like, it's just night and day. And I think the fact that this film manages to do the whimsical and the everyday so well together just is like, honestly, if this movie is not up for best animated feature at the Oscars, I will riot. Like, it might. This, do they put the do they put uh, Japanese anime films up for that award? I thought oh, this would be yes. for best international. No, best that because uh, that sorry, it's actually that award is for best foreign language film. Oh, so although the subversion could be up for that, the dub can be up for best animated. Um, Spirited Away won best animated feature. Oh, nice! It's not just limited to Western. Um, usually there's at least one anime film nominated. Even if it doesn't win, um, it's kind of almost a obligatory. I want to say your name was nominated. I could be wrong. I know the big one the year before. The Wind Rises was nominated. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Um, I I agree with you. I would love this to be I'd love this to be nominated. I would love this to win primarily because I want to see the Disney Empire come to an end at some point. I mean, and incredible I'll, I'll who's this, gonna win, but it's this it's this or Isle of Dogs. I don't know which one I want to root for more. I think I want to root for this one more. <laughs> and I think the reason I want to root for this too is uh because you mentioned you compared Hasada's work to uh Miyazaki. It's interesting. He was supposed to direct Howl's Moving Castle originally. Wow. They wanted him to do it after just doing Digimon. And he couldn't come up with a concept that the bosses liked, so they just went with Miyazaki instead. And so basically, he was supposed to be the next Miyazaki, and then he went off on his own, and basically now is the next Miyazaki, I'd argue. like, Well, Miyazaki's still around. Well, I mean, he is, but like, I feel like the torch has been passed, especially with this movie of this coming-of-age story, this whimsy, this is-it-real-is-it-not-real. Like, to me, this is his most Ghibli, Ghibli film, but it's distinctly his at the same time. And I think that this kind of just is going to he's yet to do a bad movie. Like his worst movie was Digimon. And, and even Digimon. that. Yeah, it's like, you know, the expectation is so different. And it's already a different franchise. And this was just such a different just everything about this movie is just amazing. And I want to get into spoilers because yeah. this I felt a lot. This so felt much. a lot like uh, Wolf Children. I, I remember seeing that when I was in college. It was this felt very, very similar in a, in a good way. Like you could tell, I could tell, I was like, yep, this I mean, is definitely got that, he's got that style. Work. He has heartfelt down pat. So let's get into uh, the movie itself, like the back half of the movie and all of the details. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, this movie's about, we're about to talk spoilers. Please, if you have not seen this movie and anything we said interests you, Go see, go see this movie. It's genuinely amazing. Okay, spoilers. So, John, give me your spoiler-filled opinion of this movie. Uh, my spoiler-filled opinion of this movie, well, the best... 
again, the I mentioned how the animation was the best part of it. And I think where it stuck out the most, there were two instances. Uh, one is whenever the fan, the real world and the fantasy world merged, mm-hmm. you had this this camera sweep, and it went, and you could see like he Kuhn was stationed was stationary, and then the camera turned, and all of a sudden we were in either it was a jungle, it was a rainforest, it was a train station, it was, it was that it was was it the uh, the the dark hole train to lonely land, which mm-hmm. maybe oh my gosh, did, the train station scene is just ooh it's. It, beautiful like and and the angling was perfect like you could see how small he was compared to in that giant station where everybody was walking around it was it's like it was really great and also the train tunnel too like i got dizzy from that which is a beautiful scene but at the same time and this is the highest compliment i can give a movie there are because the director even said you know i want People as young as Kuhn himself watching this movie. It's a family movie. It's mm. about family. There's going to be some four-year-olds who watch this movie and are forever scarred by the train station scene. And in 15 years, are going to be like, remember that train station scene? Yeah. Like, we had those when we were kids. Like, we had, you know, the Willy Wonka tunnel scene. We had Mufasa's death. Like, scenes like that that stuck with us. Um Pink Elephants on Parade, like scenes from kids' movies that were like, these are great, but really terrified us as kids. And I feel this is going to be that scene for a whole new generation. And I can't wait till they are old enough to articulate that. Because I think we just watched a generation get scarred, and I'm here for it. <laughs> like, I'm, gl- I'm Scar glad your children I know. Early. That's the moral of the story, kids. No, like, kids, like... <laughs> It's okay to have tension. It's okay to have. This is. A, it's a terrifying scene. Like it's it upsetting. Is. Like, but in the best way. Like it's a great climax. And you were talking about the camera sweep, and the film. This film is so well structured. In that, every time Kuhn goes into the garden, because the way they built this house, first off, is beautiful. It's like five stories. We basically follow up and down the staircase. And it, like, builds up. There's, like, a garden in the middle. It's it's so... It's an architect's it's built, house. It's built like a stage play. Like, honestly, everything it's a, moves it's a house you kind of right. It's a house you kind of expect an architect to have. You know, big glass walls, big window walls, middle. It's, like, square and rectangular and it's, junk. It's such a interesting location. And I feel like you could do a whole thing about the language of the house and how the house plays in as a character. But you know every time Kuhn goes into the garden, something magical is about to happen. Because that's the Mm. only place where he sees all these magical things. And the first one we get is the dog. And (laughs) oh my gosh, I love this scene so much. That, I don't know, like, I don't know who the, um, I don't know who the, uh, the voice, the voice actor was for the, uh, in, in the Japanese version. But I have to, but, uh, what was it? What's his name? Oh my god, what is the guy's name in Crispin Freeman did it in the English version. Crispin Freeman, okay, yeah. Crispin Freeman. Wait, 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 wait. Roy Harper from Young Justice was really I need to see the dub now. Yeah, Roy Harper. Yeah, there he was. Really? Yeah. Roy Harper was he was fantastic. It was, I was like, who is that guy? I was like, oh my god, it's the dog. <laughs> so yeah, Kuhn finds this like raggedy middle-aged man who's, 
it's literally the family dog as a person talking about how, like, well, I was the spoiled one until you came along. And yeah, no one thinks one about the dog in the family. No one thinks about it's like, well, the dog was the first the dog, one. And seeing the dog is like the scruffy vagabond was just fantastic. And then he talks about like wanting better food. And then later in the film, Coon tells his mom, like, the dog wants different food. And the dog like perks his ears up. And I'm like, is the dog a person? Like, what's going on? What? And this was in the trailer, and this was one of the scenes in the trailer that I was like, what is happening? Where he yanks the, the person's tail off, puts it on himself, and turns into little dog coon. And, and I, I saw so that, I was like, bam, wolf children. It's like, there we yeah, go. Yeah, I'm like, wolf children? Boy, that scene where he's running around the house as the dog, and like his parents are like, oh, you're being the dog, how cute. And he's like, no, no, it was, I think they actually thought, no, I think they, they addressed him as a dog. I think they thought he was, I think they thought he was the dog, like the actual dog. Cause they said, Yuko, don't run around. Stop running around. What's gotten into him? Yeah. Like it's, and again, it's like, what is actually happening? And I have no idea. I have no clue how that scene actually functioned in reality. I only know how Kuhn saw it happening. It's, and that. The beauty, like the director talked about it being a real risk having a four-year-old as the perspective character. Like, can audiences relate to Kuhn? Because he whines a lot because he's four. Well, yeah, like, he, it's like he's four. He just like his life has been rudely interrupted by the entrance of another human. Of course, he's going to act like that. Exactly, and I think because our we have there's a trope in fiction called the unreliable narrator, mm. and. Kuhn is the most unreliable narrator I can think of because he's four. Even if he thinks he's telling us the truth, he's four, right? It's like, what's like, the truth to a four-year-old? Exactly. And so it gives this movie a sense of what's, like, as adults, you and I are like, well, how can he possibly be the dog? Where Kuhn's like, no, I'm the dog now. Like, I'm the dog. Now I'm not. That's how life be sometime. and. That's just the way the movie is, and we have to accept it as it is. And it's frustrating until you let go. And I think putting the dog at the beginning to teach us, no, no, just let go. You're not getting any answers, <laughs> was such a great tactic because the rest of the movie doesn't give you any answers. Oh, oh yeah. like And, and, you do, and it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like a, you don't dwell on it too much. Well, you kind of do. But at the same time, it's not one of those things that's like the the annoying bug in your ear that it's like I great I can't understand this movie because I'm trying still trying to figure this out. It's like I'm gonna I'm rolling with this. I'm gonna roll with this. I'm gonna enjoy this. I you kind of once I think when Mirai as a teenager came up, you're like you know what this is gonna be this is gonna be his perspective. This is gonna be there's a life lesson in this here somewhere. Do your do your thing, man. Just do your do your thing. Let. And let's let's see what comes out of it, because by that point, you almost kind of trust the movie is going to is going to deliver. And it did. It really honestly did. So then we get into, as you said, teenage Mirai, and she's adorable. Like, she is so cute, like still has the birthmark, still has the birthmark, which that's how we know it's Mirai at first. And I mean, obviously, we know because of the trailer, but like. Because she's still acts like he's her big brother even though she's like nine years older than him at least like right. i'm putting her at 13 she's probably more like 15 or 16 but 
she still acts like he's her big brother. And it's just such a cute dynamic where she's like, don't hit me with trains, big brother. And she's talking to a four-year-old. Like, you can literally (laughs) pick him up and throw him. But she still shows him that respect of, like, you're my big brother. And it's just such an adorable dynamic. And it's all about – and the movie, uh, the internal narrative – I'm sorry. I'm gushing. I've been waiting a month to Uh, talk. This is a a public service announcement. We do not endorse the picking up and throwing of any small children of any kind. What about large children, like nine- or ten-year-olds? Can I throw them? Yeah, go ahead. Fine, Yes. I've been waiting to talk about this movie for a month, John. I've been waiting so long. Um, I can tell. I can tell. You know what? Good. Because I've been ruminating on this for like a month of why I love it so much. You've had like an hour. Yeah. um, I apologize. No, no, no. Please go right ahead. It's uh, but no, it is. But it's like it's it's easy to see why this is uh, so good. And yeah, you're right. Um, Mirai being the uh, still acting like uh, he's the he's a big brother at this point. It is. It is definitely a weird dynamic because she still treat because she does kind of treat with a little brother with the tickle game, but at oh, the, which is so cute. Yeah, it was, but it's, it's dude, Ian. yeah, but it's sort of like I, I sort of read that scene almost as it's his inner conscience still, mm-hmm. like because he knows that even at the age of four, he you knows know that people. Yeah, you know not to hit people. You know how to not not to hit a baby with the head with a toy train. You know that, and and he knows like he has to protect her and all that. And he knows that deep down, but at the same time, in the real world, he doesn't it, wanna. Yeah, he doesn't want to because he's again he's four he, at that age. Like you know, like I don't know if you have uh, like Justin. Do you have like older older siblings, younger siblings at all? I have a eight year old brother. I remember four year olds very well. They. <laughs> Do not listen to anything you tell them. And you probably didn't listen when you were four either. Uh, I, I was I, wonderful, actually. That That is a bald-faced lie. I will have my mother on this podcast to defend me. <laughs> please do. Please do. Can that be um, a Mother's Day podcast, please? That What, your, mo- your mother, you and your mother? Justin and his mom talking about cartoons. <laughs> I need this. Uh, I think I would pay money to see that. I've, um patreon exclusive yeah and you notice and actually while we're on the while we're on the subject that actually does bring up another point in the movie where it's like his coon's mom where he she tells him oh yeah we got along great my younger brother was only one year younger than me younger than me we were practically like twins and you realize that was also a lie because then you flashback because then we have another coon flashback to meeting his mom as a young girl and she's Treating her younger brother the same way Kuhn treats Mirai. Which, she's a little troublemaker, and I think that seeing, oh, his mom acted like a child as well, and she wasn't always like this, she grew into a mature person, I think seeing that, it it humanizes her in Kuhn's eyes. Obviously, we're humanized to her by her relationship story, but he gets the humanization of, he can now relate to her. Right. And also, and her mom was like, her mom treated her like she's treating Coon. She had the same mannerisms, the whole, I'm going to throw all your toys out and not buy you a single new one if you don't Which, clean this up. My single biggest problem about movies starring children is that they always use physical punishment as a part of the movie, like mm. to make us sympathize. All like I can think of so many scenes where I'm like, really, do I have to see another child getting spanked in this movie? Really? And this movie has 
no physical punishment for children at all. It's like it's like and still it's strict parenting, but it's also strict social exactly, parenting that's, that's, like, that's that we would now consider socially acceptable. And especially Coon's mom, where she's like, you know, we see her dealing with like, I yelled, I didn't want to, dealing with like, how do I raise a child? And like actually making that a question and not just that's the way it is. I just oh like that. That made me so happy because I was like, great, a movie about a four-year-old. I get to sit through another spanking scene. Like, I don't need to see this trauma in my life. But it didn't, and I was so appreciative. I'm probably the only reviewer that was like, thank you for not including this. And every other viewer's like, well, can't you paint the child with a belt or something? Come on. Exactly, exactly. And just it it made me so happy to see them eschew that entirely, which to me just makes this a movie that's going to have more lasting appeal. Hmm. like in the next 20 years we'll still be watching it and not be like oh that's problematic yeah i mean i think it's gonna hold well over time right and especially now that we know yeah especially now we know that you know spoiler you're not supposed to spank your kids but but even if people today think yes you should i feel like in 2030 like i feel like we're nearing the end of that cusp and Hmm. in 2030 years it's gonna be like no and so when we look back on movies of our era it's like ooh, that's not good but this movie, I think, is very forward-thinking in that. Right. Um, and, yeah. and also, and also, I think what it is, and also what it is, but it's, it's more the point, though. It's like he, you know, it's like he started empathizing with his mom a little mm-hmm. bit. He did empathize, like he learned, you know, okay, I shouldn't do, I shouldn't be like, I shouldn't act like this around Mirai. Uh, and I think he learned that the only, the main problem, though, I had with some of those scenes, this is like the the mm-hmm. one complaint in, of this movie. He realized. Twice he realizes this. He realizes, you know, and he does mellow out. He does calm down. But then we, then we shift immediately to back to real life, and he's back to this sort of, I don't want her. I hate you, mommy. I hate you, daddy. All that. Well, he's four. Like, <laughs> I yeah, felt I know. like he's. I... It's like I should understand. Like I should understand the fact that he's four and all. But at the same time, I'm looking at this going, but this just happened twice. It's like this is really too, too quick. And it's mm-hmm. like it's the same. It's the same thing. It's like the same. It's we're going. I was I was worried that we we're going to go through the same motions over and over again. Just in new character, new fancy sequence, realization, crying, new character, new sequence, fancy realization. I was getting worried it was going to start getting into this mm-hmm. pattern, and it, it was just an excuse to go there a little, it, but not they, as much as they I thought held it was. the last scene with the train station. They backed off, and I was very happy. I was like, okay, thank God we're not doing this again. Well, I mean. Think about a four-year-old. It's like they get out of timeout. Are you going to do that again? No, I've learned my lesson. Two seconds later, they're doing it again. Uh, maybe not two seconds, like, but it's like that maybe the rest of the day. No, no. A lot more no, no. It's two seconds, my friend. <laughs> it's literally they walk off to do the thing. <laughs> I have seen this with my own eyes. But it's like I, I like that, you know, he didn't instantly learn his lesson. He had to like – I think it ultimately took him to – and we'll – we're going to get to that before we get too deep in the what I would argue is the most important scene for exposition is the family dinner where the grandma's there and the grandma is the exposition queen. And I didn't realize it until like the end of the movie because yeah, she talks about the importance of the dolls. Like she starts spouting old wives tales about like, well, every day you don't put the dolls away is another year that the girl won't get married which ultimately is why Mariah comes back because dad forgot to put the dolls away and now she really likes the boy. And which, oh, that was so adorable that she's still flustered over it. Like, 
Yeah, I know. It's like so precious. It's like you're still. It's like you're a teenager. It's like, it, but it's like it. Oh yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you think that you should you should have outgrown it at that point. But then also when you're a teenager and you're like, oh, that's that's superstitious. Uh, and I'm like, how long did the dad can you put wait? those dolls away? Like, what if he waited like three weeks and it's like, <laughs> oh, 21 years. Oh, Ooh. It's, it's like I'm not gonna get married till I'm 50. <laughs> It's like, no, no, I want to get married, like, in five years. Like, no, no. But like, Put the dolls away. Put the dolls away. And and so the the most innocuous part of that conversation is them talking about uh, the mom being like, is it true that granddad, the story's like, the granddad raced the grandma. Yeah. And, or great-grand, great-grandfather, the mom's grandfather, yeah. raced his great-grandma. And it's like, who if he wins, she marries marry. him. And... Coon's grandmother's like, no, that's just an old story. And she's like, oh, I wanted that to be true. It's so cute and romantic. And it's like, it's like and then we stop talking life. about the great grandfather for like an hour. And he gets, he and gets, then, a, he gets his whole, gets an own, his own scene too. Then we go back. Yeah. Then we meet the great grandfather. And this is one of those. Was it reality? Was it fantasy? Because Coon thinks it's his dad is a teenager. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's his great grandfather and riding bike, like riding motorcycles. And that honestly is my favorite Oh yeah, fantasy scene is like him with his great grandfather because it's one of those. This could he can't like his great grandfather's dead at this point, and so right. he can't have this. And then gets back to the current, present, real world, whatever. And in the photo album, he sees the picture and he's like, "Isn't that dad?" And she's like, "No, it's your great grandfather." Remember, we went like, to his That's funeral dad. last year. Which they say at the beginning of the movie, they went to the funeral last year. Like, the movie pays off so, so, so well. Its internal logic, despite being so fantastical, is so solid. And so. And also, that scene, and one of the, I think, again, one of the better things that I say, well, first off, the dad just looked, the the great grandfather looks really cool. And you could really tell. So cool. Like, you could tell it was the 50s. But also, they kind of sepia tone that scene a lot, too. It's, it's it's this little it's this little touch, but that little touch makes it so makes it work so well. And then we get into the train station, and how long did it take you to realize that was teenage coon? Uh it took me a while because honestly, I, for, my first thought was that was going to be like the dad. I was yeah, like, as okay, soon well, as I saw him being like, "Oh, you're such a brat," I was like, "That's him, isn't it?" He's an emo because. Coon wouldn't be like Coon will always stay a sarcastic little butt. And <laughs> he did. And that's why Mariah deals with him so well, because it's like, oh, that's just you. You are just that sarcastic little butt. It's just now you're four and you're adorable. It's like, and like, then when and then when you're a teenager, you'll stop being adorable. Though to be perfectly honest, I actually thought it was the his father in the beginning because I know, I know it didn't pound that way, but I was thinking, it's like, okay, well, because in my head I'm going, let's see, well, great-grandfather would be the 1940s, that's fair. Dad could be alive in the 1980s, so yeah, he might have been a Gen X, or like, Gen Xers were kind of like this, I mm-hmm. guess. So it's like, yeah, this is possible, but then the modern train comes by, and it's like, wait a minute, oh, wow, okay, that's neat. <laughs> yeah, and so then we get to the train station, and let's get through the train station because... As good as the train station is, I love that final scene even more oh, after yeah. the train station. That I knew this movie would make me cry. I'm like, director of Girl Who Left Through Time, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and I didn't know when. And I was like, wow, I'm not going to cry at this. Good job, Justin. Your emotions are stable. You are 
very mature, holding yourself in. This is the first movie in like a year you didn't cry. And then that last scene, and I'm like, oh, nope, there goes that. Back yep. to the tears. But so let's talk about the train station, because I know you love the train station. I, I did. Um, and uh, in, this, in this curious way, I've just started realizing, what is it about little kids and trains? Feels like every little kid I know, myself included, at some point was lo- in love or is in love with trains. One of those aforementioned traumatic scenes for me as a child was in an episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. So, I mean, well, what scene was that? Oh, it's one where one I can't even remember the episode or the train. I just they're at like the scrapyard and there's fire and giant claws of death. Was and... that from the movie? No, this was just a random episode I had on VHS, and I had nightmares. Oh, is that the one? Scene. Is that the one with Rusty and Stepney? Probably. Like I'm, that was atmosphere. Talk about the train station scene as I try to find this to exercise. As, as we talk about, as we talk about Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> but no, the train station was well. First off, I don't know. Like I wish I knew what train station that was. Uh, actually, because that had to be based on a real place. But first off, the design of the station and again the the camera work to show how small it was in comparison to everything else was fantastic like it really gave you that sense the sense of bigness just how many people there were how sprawling this is and just how small he was and how lost he was because he he was wasn't because no one was around him and then we get to the lost and found parts where he realizes he sees all these uh body doubles of his parents and they all have these messed up eyes and messed up face and it just makes it like just more macabre where it's like you think he thinks he's found them but they doesn't and he sees all these kids finding their parents when they when he gets to the missing child's booth and you see the, a completely different looking animation style it looked almost stop motion almost it might like have this been this movie uh, blended 2d and cgi so well Oh yeah, like it, yeah, it's it's actually pretty funny because the uh because uh Mamoru Hosoda like he in because at the after the movie they did a director's they they showed the interview his interview at uh, Cannes Film Festival oh, he said he... yeah he said I added a little CGI in there I don't know if anyone noticed I was like oh we noticed but let's but dude you did it well like it you it fit like we're good. not mad but we noticed yeah it's like. Yeah, it, yeah, but I we can we can get to that a little. I can get to the interview a little later though, because it was a good interview. But but basically, it's like the 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 train can, the train guy was it was it's still robotic, but it was still like really just like creepy. Like he because he's talking like an android's like, what is the name? What is your mother's name? And the he's four. And again, the kid's four. Like, mom. It's like his name's mom. Uh, it's my mom. What's your dad's name? It's my dad. Do you have any Yo. siblings? Yukio. We don't dogs accept don't count. dogs don't count. I'm like, well, first off, how did he know it was a dog? Never mind. I was, I, I actually thought to myself, wait, how do they know if it's a dog? That- well, uh, never mind. You're still applying logic. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to apply logic. I'm like, and then after like, it took me two seconds to realize, forget it. I'm, I'm not supposed to figure about this. There's the, there's a clock dude walking around and I'm like a clock guy walking around, like the time's ticking away. And they said, we don't have enough information. You're going on the lonely, the train to lonely land. I'm like, Jesus, this is brutal. But at the like, same time, but then again, on a on a sort of psychological level, if you're four years old and you're lost in a giant in a giant just a giant place at all, like be it off like maybe a Costco, a ballpark, anywhere really, it's a traumatic, 
frightening thing. I mean, you don't know if you're ever going to see your parents again for like. Well, I got lost in a Target at 12 and I was frightened. <laughs> Le- less I'm wow. never going to see them again. And like, dude, that's my ride. <laughs> yeah. I live like, 20 minutes from here. I ain't getting home. How do I get home from Target? Yeah. I, weirdly enough, I, I just wasn't... wanted to look at the Bionicles. <laughs> well, there, that's there a legit one. That's a legitimate reason. It can move. It has a swiggy scythe. But it's I would I guess that was a little different because I get lost in a Costco and I didn't realize I was lost till my dad said told me not to wander off. He had to go looking for. It. I was like, oh, I was lost. I was staring at the chicken. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got lost so easily as a kid. Yeah, one of those kids often don't know they're lost. They're just because they're so enthralled. But like when you know you're lost, it's terrifying. Yeah, I'm, st- I'm still like I'm actually still like that. Like if I'm in a new city and I'm just like. Or I'm even in, or even my own home city of Boston. I'll be walking down uh, uh, like Newbury Street or going through Copley Square. I'll just be staring at the windows, and then I look up and realize, oh crap! I, I'm five. I'm supposed to turn five five streets ago. Uh, oh, where am I? Where am I? Um, look, whoop out my phone. But I can whip out my phone now. But when you're four, you know, you think you're never gonna see your parents again because you're lost and you're tired mm-hmm. and you're scared, and you think that you know. This is your life now. You are going to live in a train station. And then and we get to the platform. Then we get to the platform. Holy, holy mother of Miyazaki. That was nuts. That was such a good, that's the climax of the film. And it's so good. It was the, the seeing, seeing the train. First off, seeing the train come up is, I'm not going to say nightmare fuel, but I bet if I was five years old watching this, I'd be like, that that's that's i'm not sleeping tonight that's a night that's a nightmare train and it was wonderfully animated too that's the cgi that was cgi mixed in stunningly well and it worked uh brilliant like i remember when uh i watched was it the hair all jungle movie last year and we and pretty much everyone on the pod that's available on the anime movies pod by the way we all complained when they used the cgi because it was just done so horrifically awful here fantastic Mm -hmm. this was just it was so beautiful and I think just this is the moment where he the deep down finally comes like out to the surface of like, oh, Mariah's like legitimately in trouble. I need to do something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like he has to actually be. And that's what he says. Who they ask, who are you? And he yells, I'm Mariah's big brother. And it's like, and that's the moment he finally like comes to accept who he is as part of the family. And that's what this whole movie is about is not just your individual identity, but where you fit in in your family. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also it's sort of come, it's sort of when the penny drops and you realize that, you know, things are, yeah, things aren't always going to be about you anymore. It's you're part of, you're part of this group. It's you and everybody else. And this is your little sister. You two, like, you know, his job is to protect that. That's your job. Like you are supposed to protect your, your, your siblings, particularly your younger siblings. And this is when it was like, um, I'm part, and it, and they, what is this? He's part of, a long chain in the uh, in family, in humanity, and it's and and, it, and it's it's kind of empowering though in a way though too when he when he realizes that because he realizes that there is a lot there is a lot to be a lot there to be the bigger brother. And then we get to my absolute favorite scene in the movie, the family tree. Oh my goodness! And and you know as it, it felt. It, it kind of, it, it was, and that was so interesting because you thought it was gonna be like a literal tree, like it's gonna it be was like, a tree. Just, yeah, it was. Well, it was in the beginning, but then they go in and it's like they walked into like 
I think it was. It felt like it was something right out. Like I was in the inside of the computer in Code Lyoko. Have you seen Girl Who Left Through Time? I have not. Watch yes. that movie. The scenes where she falls through time. The way that time around her looks looks so similar to the family tree. Where I'm like, that's where he got his idea of it. I think, and I'm not even mad because it's such a beautiful like all of the white space with them like the strips of images like the the brackets yes yes that the uh the use of negative space like i love it i loved it in girl who left through time and i loved it here i'm like please if this is the way you always portray time travel i am okay with it like it's your look of time travel and i love it it it, it looked to me yeah i mean and that and 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 it's amazing because it's like because if it gave the sense you know your peak it's not like you're jumping into a whole new time period you're just sort of taking quick Quick little peeks at all these imp- all these moments that made you who you that basically are the reason you're you are who you are and where you are. All those little tiny moments. My absolute favorite part, absolute favorite part of this entire movie. We see the great great grandfather in the war, bloodied leg, like we know he's hurt, and then we see the race, and the race was real, and we see. That it's not quite the way we heard it was, where she takes off and he's limping and like he can barely walk. And she stops just before the finish line and lets him pass her because she loves him. And, and was <laughs> that is the moment I started crying. My eyes. Yeah, out. that was a that was that a broke. Me. And it's like if I think you hear Mariah who's like, if that bullet had gone an inch to the left, you wouldn't be here. If your grandma, if your great grandmother hadn't have let him win, you wouldn't be here. Like all of these moments led up to you being who you are, and you're going to lead to even more moments. Like, and it's just, uh, it's, and then we see her with older Coon, and it's just like, yes, like this is what we've been building to. It's not just little snippets, but him finally understanding his greater place, not just in his immediate family. His extended family, because as we know, Asian culture's extended family is a lot more important than it often is in the West. Like, that's just Un- unless a- you're an Italian, believe me. True. <laughs> well, like, you know what I mean? Of like, it's a oh, lot yeah. more common to, you know, still see your great grandparents a lot more frequently than like a lot of, like, I'm, I'm American. My great grandmother lives in Las Vegas for some reason. You have, you actually still have a great grandmother? She. Unless I have a phone call I need to make, I think I do. Wow, that's actually I can say that in the night. Like she's like ninety something, living in the suburbs of Vegas in the middle of the desert, and still kicking. Goes that's... to her favorite Mexican restaurant every week. Like that's amazing. I got to meet her once in my life because I got to go to Vegas when I was eleven. But I live in Virginia. Like going to Vegas was not in the cards, but that's a whole tangent. The point being, I mean, well, well, now that you're 21, you got a, a ton of reasons to go to Vegas. Back then, my mom's like, "You're going to Vegas," and I'm like, "Pinball Hall of Fame," you say. And she's like, <laughs> "Fine, take you to the Pinball Hall of Fame." Wait, my dad was a national bowling. Vegas? Yes, it is. Okay, I gotta go back. Uh, my dad was a bowling competitor. Went to a national championship. It happened to be in Vegas. Whole family went. Stayed at the Circus Circus. It was amazing. Point is. Also, it's where I found my favorite candy bar that's so hard to locate. If anyone wants to donate Rocky Road candy bars to me, I'm 100% accepting donations. Um, 
But the whole point is he finally understands his place, not just in like his immediate family, but the greater sense of family. And I think seeing the family tree of like generations and generations and generations, like that idea is so ingrained. And I um read an interview with Sada where he's talking about this and how like family is so important, like to him and his family and the culture and just seeing that. I think I I think it's an idea and a value we understand. I just don't think we put it into practice as much mm-hmm. often today. But it's so beautiful and like that's the moral of the story is not just like be nice, but like you're part of something bigger than yourself and it's right. bigger than you can ever imagine. And I think that's just, I think it's a such a unique moral of not just family sticks together, but the grand sense of family, not just the people in your house, but like how far back it goes and how far forward it will go. And, and, and it's a heady of- concept for a four year old. And also, even just the heady concept of all, and it's like these all these like very small, tiny moments that made up that made up this chain, and which could so easily go completely different. Like, yeah, it's a trope. I know, I know, it's a trope that's been used a lot. But when he, but I, when I was listening to that, and I'm think uh, when I walked out of the theater, I was walking to the bus stop. I was thinking about that a lot, and I sort of reflected on my own family's history in a way. And what I found out was, and I remember a story that. Um, my grandfather told me he passed he passed uh he lived to the very young age of 101 um Ooh. yeah uh, and he's and here's the thing he was still he was still living at home until until like the last three months too which is amazing but uh but basically but the story goes and he told this to me uh when he was like 10 like 15 years ago how he was hiding in a barn in belgium during the war and it was him and his team it was hit by and it was hit by a bomb and i think it was only him and like one other person survived because he must have been high because he was like in like under a hay bale or something. And he said, he's like, I don't know how that happened. Maybe my mother was looking out for me, but somehow I'm survived. I survived that. And it, it leaves you realize like, had that, had he not hidden at that right time? Wow. None of us in this room are here right now, which is, yeah. it's, fr- it's fright. It's a little frightening to think about, but it's like these like moments. It's like, and in my own personal life, actually, um, last uh, two years ago, I had uh, I stayed late at I stayed late at, for uh, class at school, and so I was like, "Oh no, I missed the van. I have to wait twenty minutes now for for the next shuttle bus." I get on the shuttle bus. Some girl walks up to me and uh, says, "Oh, what's the pin on your coat?" And I said, "Oh, it, I had like ten pins on my coat, and it was like it was one that was an Egyptian pharaoh because it belongs to my Elks Lodge." I was like, "Oh, this is my Elks Lodge. We dated for a year. It was like." And I realized, had I not stayed on that van 20 minutes late, I would have had one of the best years of my life with this girl. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so it really, it does, it it really makes it seem like, you know, I don't want to get too, like, the, uh, too religious here, but like, maybe there's a, there is a, re- maybe there is a reason for everything. Maybe something does guide us. And in Mirai, in the movie, it's like, every, some, sometimes, every little, little things, little things happen. Sometimes it's fate. Sometimes it's luck. But if the, if those little things don't happen, you know, history mm-hmm. does change. And the importance of family and that connection was, I mean, I relate because like I, I see my aunts, I see my uncles, I see my cousins a lot. Like the, a lot of them still live here. They mm-hmm. had just such a great connection. But at the same time, like the, the being part of this long chain that goes back God knows how long and just all these all these moments that make up yourself and having that theme in a kid's movie of all places and having it done. And I think a way that I think a 
like a six or seven year old will understand. Like, I still think like you yeah. could watch that as a kid and you'd understand it. And well, I mean, the whole point is that Kuhn does comprehend it. And so oh. it's designed to be something that a four year old can comprehend. Yeah. And it's, and oh, yeah, by the way, the thing about that grandfather of mine, uh, he actually met his great grandson uh, before he passed away, too. He was like two. And I'm like, that kid's going to, then we got a picture. It's like, I wonder if he's going to remember meeting his great grandfather. Like, he's three years old in this picture. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's going to remember that. Because, that's something not everybody gets a chance to. That's why I was amazed. That's when you told me, like, you know, you're 21. You got to meet your great grandma. That's amazing. She's uh, telling you, man, it's the Mexican food. It's keeping her alive. Tacos keeps keeps, like, the, keeps the elderly alive. And I think, like, to me, a takeaway, and it's not explicit in the movie, but no. like, Coon never talked to his great grandfather. Not Coon's fault. He was three. Like, he was still learning the whole talking thing. <laughs> It was I yeah. like my I know my grandfather, his family had been fighting in the American military. Literally, I have an ancestor who fought at Valley Forge with George Washington. Nice. Like the men in my family were military men for six generations. And then he had all girls and none of them went into the military in any capacity. And it's like, I'm not in the military. I'm his oldest grandson. Like my little brother's eight. Like he may not. If he goes into the military, my grandfather may not live to see this. He's seen this legacy of his family end, and he seems okay with it. And it's like, I want to talk to him and know, like, what does this mean to you? And it's one of those things of, like, talk to your family while they're alive. Learn their story. Because, like, Kuhn's great-grandfather, like, I want a whole movie of that man now. (laughs) And I think the whole point of this is, like, everyone in your life, everyone in your family is not just a mom or a great-grandfather. They had a life before their current role. I think that's the whole point of the mom flashback, is Mm. she wasn't always a mom. She was a kid. And seeing seeing that, seeing... Learning to see your family as more than just the family member that they are is, to me, a crucial part of growing up. And I think it's something that you may realize a little earlier with like your parents, but Mm. like when, you know, when you're like 20 and your parents start talking, you know, a little less authoritative to you and a little more as like a friend. And it's like, Whoa, you know, I, you're a person. I think it's hard. I think it's, it's rare to get that with like a grandparent. And And also, and also questions. And also it's like you learn, and he learned with his mom as well. It's like the real story of like his mom. Cause it's like, you see, think of your mom. She'll tell you like, oh, I got along with my siblings. Great. Yeah. And they'll say, and they'll say that. I think, I think if you ask your parents, they'll probably say that too. Like they oh, got my along mom with their. tell me how great she was. That's why I asked my grandmother those questions. Yeah. And then you realize, no, no, they weren't. And no. it's like, cause it's like, you know, I mean, granted, do you want to tell them like, you know, your brother was a pain in the neck? Of course not. But it was, uh, but at least not until you get older, but because they want you know good mother would tell her tell him that yeah but what i did like like, she was awful (laughs) i know but it's like but there was that one moment in the movie as well where the mom and the grandma are sitting at the table after everyone's gone to sleep and the mom even tells the grandma i'm still a little sore that i never got that cat even though we learn later it's like you know she saw a cat eat a blackbird destroy a blackbird baby and that's what turned her off cats but she's still like i still wish i kind of had that cat And, and they're doing this while eating a cake that i'm looking at going how do you make that cake? I want that cake because it's like it was like a sponge cake and there's like blocks in the middle and it's like a jelly on top. I, I'm looking. I'm like, how do they make cake. that cake? I, I want that cake. I want that cake. Mm, anime food. 
Yeah, it's like why is why does anime food look so look so good? That that's not fair. This is like one of the happiest movies I think I've seen all year. Like I finish this movie and I'm like, wow, I am a happy person with a newfound appreciation for family. Oh, absolutely. And any movie that can do that to me is like, ugh. if it doesn't at least get nominated, you will get an article about it. Like, yeah, it's like, and of course the kid was, and of course, and him learning to ride a bike. You know, he fa- keeps falling down. He hates. Oh, I forgot the bike scene with the, the bike. kids helping teach him. Oh, it, my it, it, and in fact, that's where the great grandfather comes into play because he's yes. saying, you know, it's like, "Don't look down. Look straight ahead." Because when you're not, the horse doesn't get scared when you're not scared. And you see him, he's like, he's, he's scared to be on the horse. What kid wouldn't be? But then after a while, he's like, the, the great grandpa asks him, are you still scared? He's like, a little. And he's like, just look right ahead. Look right ahead. The horses accept you. And he uses that and he teaches himself, kind of gets himself going how to ride the bike. And the kids help him. The Maybe the friendliest troop of little boys you'll meet at a park dealing with a kid who can't ride a bike, first off. So wonderful. Because at first I'm like, oh no, the kids are going to pick on him. And then they didn't. And I'm like, this movie is so positive. Yeah, but I think I'm looking. so positive. At the same time, I'm looking at him going like, really? Not one of you is going to make fun of this kid? Not one of you? This is like no other park. This is like no park I ever visited in my life. Have you been to Japan? (laughs) No. Then it is no park you've ever visited in your life. <laughs> Still is. Yeah, I want. I've been watching so much anime this month. I feel like I need. I want to visit Japan now. I should. Don't 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 do it. Expecting. I promise you, not a single magical girl will appear. Uh, and well, if they, they do, run. Oh, so what? Well, thanks for ruining Japan for me. You know. But, <laughs> no, it's, it's like a, I know it's an actual place, like. I swear, it, there is, like, the way that we idolize, like, animeified Japan. I swear, there is some kid in, like, Sweden that's like, I want to go to America and be a cowboy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pro- <laughs> uh, well, yeah, just go to, and, he, and then he lands in, like, I don't know, New York City, and he's wondering why there's no cowboys. <laughs> but, I need um, that, actually. That would be funny. But no, it's um no, but you know what it is it's like if I go to Japan, it's like I'm going there just I'm going there to eat as much like sashimi and food as I possibly can, and maybe I'll and maybe I'll get lucky and find a good anime shop. But it's um well, depends. Are you in Tokyo? Because if you're in Tokyo, you probably can. Eh, maybe I don't know. That's, but that's that's beside the point. If I do meet a magical girl, I'll try to remain suspicious. But but, but I think. Yeah. Um. No. You'll you'll find you'll like there'll be an obituary and over the anime. John has. John was abducted by a magical girl. He fell off the broom during a delivery service. May he rest in peace. No, it's going to be like, John was abducted by a magical girl. He thought it was Sailor Moon. It was Madoka Magica. Rest in peace, John. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yep. things went bad. But yeah. anywho, because it is 11 o'clock at night yeah. and I have yeah. to drive three hours in the morning, we're going to draw yeah. this to a close because yeah. I have a debate tournament to prep. Ooh. So... I'm so glad this movie's finally out in America and I can talk about it. I've had my review ready for, like, weeks. I'm so glad I can actually tell people about this movie now. Go see it. It's so good. Yeah, but hu- hurry, though. It's it's not, it's not. It's probably not going to be in theaters for very long. And even if it's not... But if it's not, it should come to on demand pretty quick. Like, yeah. I feel like it will. I feel like it'll... See it in theaters if you can. If you can't, yeah. it should be on demand pretty quick. Because it came out in Japan back in, like, July, I think. Probably. Um, uh, I, I expect so. it on DVD probably January. I expect it on demand like 
Late it was, December. It was released in July tw- on July 20th, yeah, and it's now in American theaters. Yeah, don't know how long it's going to be in American theaters. Probably only a week or two. Mm. Go see it. Yeah. It's really good. It's worth it. I, Honestly, I did have... except maybe Incredibles 2, which I adore. Probably my favorite movie of the year, even keeping in mind that I've seen, like, Hereditary this year. And Spider Ver- and Into the Spider-Verse is not yet out yet. Oh, that's going to be good. I don't... You know, it's 11 o'clock, so I don't want to talk about this, but I'm just going to very quickly say that they are now making two Into the Spider-Verse sequels from the creators of Korra and Voltron, and... Oh, come on. Don't tell me. You're going to hurt my wallet. I think think it's... Montgomery's doing an all-female Spider-Verse. Yeah, I heard that. Spider-Gwen is the lead, and then a bunch of others, and then the Santos is doing the direct sequel. Okay. Um... So... I, it's I late, did, but yeah, your wallet's yeah. gonna die in a couple I, of years. I did want to bring this up at the end because I said I would. Like the director's interview with uh, Hoso- yes. uh, with Hosoda, um, they aired this at the en- at the end of the film. They had his interview at Cannes Film Festival, and they asked him sort of like how Mariah came to being, uh, what he thought about it, and also what he thought of hand drawn and what he thought of the medium as a whole. And according to him, most of this film was hand drawn. And I guess he's and he said like there's only two films right now that are out that are still hand drawn. His. And I guess some and a new one that Miyazaki is making, which I'm watching this. And I remember like back in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, like hand drawn was, you know, status quo. The fact and he, and he said, you know, and he kind of lamented the decline of hand drawn animation, the rise of CGI. And he said, you know, it's expensive. I get it. But when you do hand drawn stuff, it's the it's the animators own unique stamp on a project. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm thinking and I and I sort of go back to some of the debates both on our, our Discord and also all around the internet. You know, there's so many people complain. You know, all cartoons now look the same. It's all cow arts. It's all computer. It's all yada yada yada. Uh, Pe- Rebel Taxi. I think even mentioned Rebel Taxi even tr- tried to take the middle ground and said like, you know, if it's still CGI, it's still hand drawn. But here's the thing: you don't get a Mirai with a computer you just don't you don't get Hal's moving castle with a computer you don't get uh kiki's P- kiki's delivery service on a computer it, it, hand-drawn really it, hand-drawn and stop motion are really lost arts and i really love it when i see a hand-drawn animation in 2018 because it's it, it feels like you're you're it feels like you're watching animation at its roots and this is really what it was this is animation at its core it's it's you it's unique you know who's doing it 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 feels like something it's familiar, but at the same time, it's mm-hmm. it's like you know, it's like this is this guy's thing. It's nobody else's but his, and you and if and it has it has a great sort of roughness to it too. Like you could tell, like that one pencil mark is maybe a little off balance. Maybe this one, maybe this one thing was just a little off. But it's the same. It's those imperfections that give it mm-hmm. that give it character. And it's CGI tends to be just way too clean because you can edit it really quickly, and that's what I love and. The funny part is, and the other part, he mentions what was the inspiration for this. He actually is an only child. This was not, really? this was based on, yeah, he described this, this, he came up with this movie watching his two, his two children interacting and his it's son, who, who, his son, who's the big brother, told him about a dream he had where he imagined his little sister as a teenager. So this is basically Shark Boy and Lava Girl done well. Yes. Where the director's like, ooh, I'm going to make a movie based off my young child's dreams, but this Absolutely. one actually is a good movie. Yeah, that's what he said, and he based it around that. Yeah, he kind of based it around that. He based um, he based the great-grandfather around his wife's grandfather. 
so he he drew a lot. Yeah, so he's drawing a lot. So he he didn't experience this, but he said it was it's interesting to see this through another kid just the lens of his children seeing the sibling thing that he never got to have and mm. i'm the same way like i'm technically i was technically an only child i had four sisters but they had all moved out by the time i was born so i never got to have a younger sibling around i never got to have an older sibling live with me so seeing but i but, I, but a lot of people i know had siblings and they were like this and it was like that there would be there was the tension so so i got where you're coming from it's seeing that really is and it is, it's one of those things where I wish, like, you know, I do kind of wish I had a little brother because it's that it's that sort of unique, even though if it's like has its roughs and tumbles and its turns. And if I had a younger brother, I would probably be like, Kuhn. I'd be like, can you return him? I don't want him. I want to be all by myself again because I enjoyed being an only child personally. But at the same yeah. time, at the same time, it's like, yeah, but yeah. But as you get older, you realize it's cool to have it's 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 probably really cool to have us to have a. A brother or a sister that's around that's younger than you too and you didn't you there is a special bond and he and kun and mirai look kun learned that with mirai through when she was a teenager he she, he learned that when she was a teenager and he learned that when he was i mean he protected her at the train station and i was i was glad i stayed for that director's mm-hmm. that director's thing too because at the same time you know because there's another movie coming out where it's uh miyazaki he wants to do us he's trying to try his hand at cgi and this is about the hand-drawn animation CGI thing. He says, uh, Miyazaki said, uh, like, he was really struggling with the CGI model. And he utters a line in the trailer where it's like, I feel like, I, I feel like I'm failing doing this. And I'm just looking there going, you have apps. Nobody is ever going to accuse you of being a failure at mm-hmm. anything. Like, you stop that right now, mister. You have no, no, you can't feel sorry for yourself. Nobody ever gets to feel sorry for you don't get to feel sorry for yourself, especially you. Like, because you're the reason why so many animators have jobs. So mm-hmm. many people. You made so many great movies. Like, you don't get to feel bad for yourself. Everyone owes you everything. Yeah, about so, about the whole younger sibling. There are days where I'm like, please stop screaming at 3 a.m. Please go back <laughs> to sleep. You're just constipated. I promise you're not dying. Please go to bed. And then there are days like last weekend where I was babysitting. Because I live at college and I was home on Thanksgiving break. My parents went out. The dinner, so I babysat, and he just sat down. Like he's telling me about how kids in his class are playing Call of Duty, and I'm like, uh, the eight year old's playing Call of Duty that I hate. Not not because why is an eight year old playing Call of Duty? You know, just to ruin my day, honestly. But what parent lets their kid play Call of Duty at the age of eight? You'd be surprised. But I sat him down next to me, and I showed him Final Fantasy 15 for like two hours, and he was just enthralled. And I'm like, I'm teaching him like video game history and he's asking questions and he utters the greatest thing I've ever heard this child say is I wish this game was E10 instead of T. That way I could play. And I'm like, yes. And like two months ago for my birthday, he hand writes me a card and it says to Justin, my one and only brother. And I'm just like, I love this child so much. Like. And, And I relate to this movie where I'm like, I remember there are days where I'm like, please take this little monster back. Like, one time when he was learning how to crawl, he crawls over, spits up in between my toes, and crawls away. And I'm like, cool. When do we return it? <laughs> can I can I punt him like a football now? Please? You know, he's finally old enough. I can lightly do wrestling moves on him, and it's it's wonderful. <laughs> and then and then there are days where it's like he has he has a bad dream. He wants to crawl into bed with you, and you let him. Oh yeah, like there are days where I'm like, no, this is mine, and no one can hurt it. Like this is mine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's uh yeah, let's let's wrap up. Uh, you... Let's go to bed. Um yeah. I need to drive in the morning. 
three I, hours to a debate tournament. So I need gosh. sleep. Yeah, and so, you, can, you can you can delete my Miyazaki, my little Miyazaki rant. It doesn't really matter. I just wanted no, to get that off my chest. No, it's fine. Um, uh, that's it for this episode, folks. Um, find all the info on this podcast at overlyanimated.com. Join us on Discord to text chat about animation at overlyanimated.com slash Discord. Support us via Patreon at patreon.com slash overlyanimated. Thanks to all our current patrons. Patrons. Oh, God, I'm tired. Patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, John, a.k.a. Johnny Bravo. Then, where is it in the thing? Okay, and thanks as always to our Patreon executive producers, John, Ryan, Steve, Alex, and Hugh. Anything you want to plug? Uh, Anything coming up? Uh, we have Ru- Ruby coming up later this week. And next and starting next month, guess guess who's back? Steven Universe. Uh, and Voltron. And Voltron. So uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a we're going to wrap up 2018 with a, a bang. wild ride. To the end. Well, it, you guys are wrapping up 2018 with a bang, I should say. And I'm I just posted my Mariah review again in the description. And also, I just posted my kind of farewell to Steven Hilleberg, who passed away this week. Um, go read that. It's me crying my eyes out for like 500 words. Yeah. It, it um, mean a lot. Oh, also, uh, if you are patrons, uh, OV not, uh, the first round of OVs are out, so uh, vote. And if you, if you aren't a patron yet, become a patron so you can vote for top moments of the year. The nominations open only to patrons, and then the general voting, I think, opens up to everyone, right? Yes. Is that how we do it? Awesome. So, not too late to get on that. Become a patron. If you have strong opinions that you want known, not too late. Become a patron. Get in on that while you can. Um, Yeah, I think that wraps up this episode. Thanks for staying with me so late, John. No problem. It's great. It's great. Awesome. All right, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Take care.